to put in context where we are, we've been on the journey uh, with the Israelites beginning first uh, with Joseph at the end of Genesis. So we're journeying with them through, through Exodus. So uh, this morning we'll be in Exodus chapter 25. I'll start uh, reading uh, with verse 8. Uh, to put this in context, Moses has been up uh, the last two weeks. We've been getting the law at Mount Sinai. Um, God has been giving the law to Moses. And uh, before this, he says to the Israelites, uh, to Moses, to tell the Israelites, take up an offering of gold, of silver, of bronze, of fine linens, of precious woods. And um, I will instruct you to how to build a tent, a tabernacle, a sanctuary where I will dwell amongst you. So starting in verse eight. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put the ark and the tablets of the covenant of the law, which I will give you. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherubim on one end and the second on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant of law that I will give you. There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, The passage you saw was the New Living Translation. I tend to read from the NIV if you're wondering about the difference there. Um, When looking at the scripture this week and preparing for this morning, uh, verse 8 really caught my eye. I wanted to highlight that for you all this morning. God has been giving the law to Moses, uh, which we've been talking about for a few weeks, how the law set the Israelites apart and made them different. It was God's guidance for the people of how he wanted them to live. It was God's um, guidance for how they would live in freedom. Coming out of oppression and slavery in Egypt, this was the law. We talked about how... uh, Sinai is, is like a matrimony experience. It's, it's like a marriage between God's people and God himself. And so after this, this uh, at the end of this matrimony experience, what God is starting to tell his people about is how he desires to dwell among them. He says in verse 8, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Uh, we could put that into our terms, thinking about how after we get married, uh, we have a house that we've prepared to go and live uh, with, with our spouse in this house. And in the same way, God is saying to his people, prepare this place where I will dwell amongst you. And we see this, this, this reality of God, this desire of God's heart to dwell amongst his people. Um, this, this at the cornerstone of all who God is and all how he lives amongst us is 
relationship, this desire to be with us. And I was thinking about this this morning uh, in preparation for this morning in, in terms of just the importance of presence in relationship. When God is talking about wanting to dwell with us, uh, I was thinking about how in relationship presence is probably the most important factor of this. Uh, if any of you have been in a new relationship, you know this drive that comes for presence, this desire to always be with the other person. You're constantly thinking about the other person. You're constantly daydreaming about the other person. You have to intentionally make yourself focus on other things. And the only thing that can help that is by being with them. The only thing that seems to satisfy their, that desire is to be present with them. And in our lives, we have all these tools to make up for the difference of presence. We have phones and iPads and computers and all these things to help communicate with one another when we're not there. We have text messaging and phone calls and Skype and FaceTime. And I, was, I was thinking about this this week when I was in school. Um, I spent a month in England working at a church over there. And at the time I was dating a girl from school. And so we'd talk on the phone. We'd, I'd call and we'd catch up and it, we were thousands of miles away, but it was a good substitute for not being present. And one of these days we're having this long conversation. I'm telling her this story and about four minutes into this long story, I realized there is no one else on the other end of the line. Like there is no response. And I'm thinking, have, you know, have I lost you? Like, has the connection gone bad? Has somewhere over the Atlantic we lost it? I said, are you, are you still there? And very, I hear this very meek voice say, yes. And I said, so, I, so you do what every guy does next. You say, are you okay? And she says, yes. And there's a little pause and she says, um, yeah, you kind of, you kind of, well, well, something you said kind of bothered me. And then she said something really interesting. She said, but I know if we had been face to face, you would have seen my reaction and changed. And so she kind of let me off the hook. And after that conversation, we would Skype every time we would talk. And then I had that benefit of that nonverbal communication. I could see how things were affecting and reacting. And we didn't have those four minutes of silence anymore. But... I thought about how presence is so important, not just in a new relationship. Um, my mom has a friend over in England that she used to go visit pretty extensively. It started with a week's trip, and then one week grew to two, and eventually she was spending almost a month over there visiting her friend. And it was so funny to see how much this affected my father, because um, over time he'd kind of wear down, wear down as she was gone. And then he would start to get really excited near the end of the time that she was gone because he knew she was coming back. So he's anticipating this reuniting with his bride. And so we go to the airport and mom's been gone like three and a half weeks and we get there like 30 minutes early. We are like camped out waiting for mom to return. She comes through the final security point and dad hugs her, kisses her, looks her in the face and then hugs her again. And it was this funny reality of like, you've been gone so long, I've missed you so much. And there wasn't much communication. It was just, you know, embrace and enjoying the presence. And then dad took her hand and didn't let go of her hand until we got to the car. And you could see the delight of this on my mom's face. And she's looking at his hand. She's looking at him. He's just beaming, you know, grinning ear to ear. And she said, maybe I should be gone more often. But I think there is this reality of presence in our lives that's so important to relationship. 
We see this a lot with children, especially with young children, with babies. Uh, you might have heard of these studies where uh, they look at orphans. I think it was in Romania that I read about this. Uh, it was an orphanage where they had all these kids, and it was all they, they didn't have many helpers. It was all they could do to feed and care for them. They didn't have a lot of time to hold and nurture them. And what they found as the children got to be in their teenage years, that the kids hadn't fully developed. But they were well-fed, they were safe, they were protected, they had warmth, they had clothes, all these things. But what they, the doctors found is they lacked this personal interaction, this physical touch, this presence with another human being that they so needed, that care, is actually crucial for our development. Now, for those of you that have young kids, you've probably read about this and studied this and experienced this reality that children learn facial expressions uh, from, primarily from their parents. They learn them from other people. And so studies show the more that a parent, their countenance affects their child. So the more that a parent smiles or grins or laughs, this is how children learn to do these things. So it's that, and they find that this eye contact is very crucial. You know, a baby's range of vision is very limited, and so they can focus in, and it's not very deep either. Um, but you see this, they have this range of vision of like 18 inches when they start. And so it's enough to see from the arms of their loving parent. We see this need, this, this need of presence for us in relationship and development. And this is exactly what God is highlighting here for us uh, this morning, t- talking to his people about how he desires to dwell amongst us. And this is a difference that we see in the Israelites. Moses talks about this before we even get to this point. Earlier on in the Exodus story, God is talking about sending him forward. And Moses says, but God, you have to go with us. He says, if your presence is not with us, how are we any different than any other people? The reality of God's presence with the Israelites is what set them apart. So the ark this morning, what's, what's this all about? These cubits and lengths and directions and things like that. Don't worry, this is not going to be on a final exam, like what were the dimensions of the ark, things like that. But I would like to highlight just the attention and the detail that God takes to what he puts his presence in. Um, The the passage goes on to describe more than just the ark, or or what I like to call the box, where God keeps some of his stuff. Um, It it describes the whole tent or tabernacle, this, this in, in a sense, this portable movable uh, presence that God has with his people. Because remember, they're, they're camping. They're, they're in the desert. They're, they're nomadic. They're traveling. Um, but we see over time uh, the importance of this ark. And eventually, uh, the, the tent, the tabernacle, becomes the temple. Uh, you know, Solomon ends up building the temple for God where God's presence dwells uh, in Jerusalem, in the capital city. And we see the Israelite people ordering their entire lives around the presence of God, around this, around the temple, around how they worship God, around how this works. Uh, and, and over time, th- this reality changes. Uh, we, we see Jesus coming to us. Uh, the word incarnation is used, God with us. Uh, Another name for for God in the Old Testament is Emmanuel, God with us. There's this constant desire through this narrative of our lives with God where God longs to be with us. And we see this in a very intimate and personal way when God takes on the form of a man of flesh, humbles himself, and comes to earth as, as a human being. 
And we start to see the reality of God being with us. And, and in a very real way, in a very similar way to the garden where God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening, we see Jesus walking with his people. We see God being in physical manifest presence with us. But God does not desire to leave us like that. Jesus, in fact, himself says, it is better that I go so that I may send you my spirit, the helper, the counselor who will lead you into all truth, who will be with you. And we see these promises with Jesus throughout scripture. Lo, I am with you always, even to the very ends of the age. There's this constant promise of presence with our God. I will not leave you nor forsake you, he says. And we see the great lengths at which God goes to reconcile us to himself, ultimately through his son on the cross. You see, God, I I like that phrase, God will stop at nothing to be with us except maybe controlling us. See, this gift of God's presence is just that. It is a gift. It is something given to us by grace, by the gift of God that we receive through faith in his son, not Not so that anyone could boast, not that we could earn it and brag about it, but it's just so that we can receive it. So I was thinking about this morning, how we receive this presence in different ways. And ultimately, when when God pours out his spirit on us, his spirit comes to live and dwell with us. Uh, in, In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how you are the temple of God now. In the same way that God uses all these precious stones and metals and articulate things to be built to house his presence, to share his presence with his people, God knit us together in our mother's wombs. He made us fearfully and wonderfully made. We are the delight of his life, and we are able to house his presence, not by something we do, not by earning it, but by by grace through faith. It's this gift that can just be received. But as I looked over, the, especially the Old Testament, of the history of how the Israelites dealt with the ark, I thought about the difficulty of learning to live with the presence of God. You might have heard that phrase, practicing the presence of God. That stuck with me this week when I thought about that, about how it is something that was practiced. You see, David in the Old Testament, they even misused the ark, the Israelites do. This most prized reality that God has shared his own presence with them. They're not sure exactly how to steward this presence. They have to study the law on how to transport the ark. Not to put it on a cart, but to put it on the shoulders of priests carrying the Asherah poles. These acacia wood poles and transport it this way. There's this very gentle, specific way we have to sometimes handle the presence. Because it's so... It's so distinct and so other and so powerful. But then we see the presence of God poured out to us in his spirit. And at times God can seem so near to us, so personal, just right next to us. And then at times God can seem so distant and far away. I was thinking this week about that contrast, about how when I sit down to think about praying to God, I still sometimes think of God up in heaven of God being kind of far away. As I reflected on the presence this week and all the promises we have of God with us, I thought about how contrary that is to the reality of the kingdom. 
how God is with us always. But it was also strange to think of God's presence and his desire to dwell amongst us this week in the midst of the tragedies, in the midst of the bombings in Boston and the suffering in West Texas. Thought about how that seems such a strange comment. I desire to come and dwell amongst you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. One of the things I noticed when I was at school is that a lot of times we can see bad things when we look quickly. We can see things that people do wrong. We can see suffering. We can see hardship. But a lot of times we have to dig in a little bit to see the presence of the Lord. Many of you all probably heard this week the stories after the bombings in Boston of marathon runners continuing on and running to the hospital to then give blood. One of the common jokes this week was if you were trying to choose a group of people to overcome with disaster, marathon runners was probably not the best choice. They know how to deal with hardship. They know how to overcome. I thought about the suffering in West Texas. I saw a post online this week of a bakery who had prepared all this food and placed a sign outside food for relief workers who are helping with those suffering in West Texas. It seems in our lives, even in the midst of tragedy and struggles, if we dig a little deeper into the situation, we can clearly see God at work in ways we never thought or imagined. I think God does this by design. We talked about Sinai as a matrimony experience. We have all know that, that experience of a relationship, how you have to press in how you have to seek the other person. And I would offer that God is not different from that. He actually invites us. He calls us to seek, to ask, to knock. He talks about coming to him, to find him. And I believe that God does this in a way that allows us to develop this ability, this muscle to press in and really seek his presence. He promises us He will never leave us or forsake us, that he's always with us. But there is a reality I feel like, as one of my mentors calls it, it's almost like God likes to play hide and seek. But he hides in places where we can find him. And over time, as we grow and develop in this relationship, in this trust, we know he's there and we can seek deeper and deeper and deeper. We're going to have the uh, worship band come back up and they're going to sing over us. But as they come up, I wanted to invite prayer ministers forward if um, y'all are here to pray for folks. And I just wanted to share a little story about the first time I knew the presence of God. I grew, I was born and raised in this church. I grew up in this church. And in high school, my faith really became my own. But it was in that time that I first knew that God was real. I had heard for a lot of my life, people say, oh, I knew at that point that God was really speaking to me. From that song or that scripture, this encouraging word from a friend, I knew that God was telling me something. I had heard that a lot and I understood that concept, but I had never had that knowing of God's presence. Until one evening I was asking very extensive questions about who God is and where God is and what faith is all about. And through prayer from a friend, I received a word of something that was going on in my life, specifically detailed and 
and the timing was just dead on from a friend of mine who couldn't have known these things. And for the first time, I knew that God was real. I knew that there was someone else on the other end of the line. This is the reality of the intimacy and the personal nature of our God. And some of y'all may have heard of encouraging prayer or words of encouragement or listening prayer, sometimes referred to as prophetic prayer. Some of y'all have probably experienced this on retreats or prayer ministries in our church. But this was how I came to first know the real presence of God, that God was intimately with me, that God knew what was going on in my life and desired to speak into that. And the same way that he has poured out his spirit into us as a community, he likes to work through one another. So I'd encourage y'all, if you haven't experienced that, or if you just want that encouragement, or if you just want that refilling this morning to turn, turn to a neighbor or come forward for prayer or talk to someone after the service, but to really press in, to seek, seek others and help for finding that. Because the presence of God will radically change your life. Knowing that God is real and is present will transform all that you do. So the worship team's going to just in, lead us in a song for a little while. And I invite y'all just to be in this space. Just ask the Lord where he is and to reveal his presence to us. And if you'd like to come forward and receive prayer and maybe that touch of God's presence.